all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble falling asleep, trouble getting to sleep. Welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that's here to put you to sleep. We do it. Tonight's Game of Thrones, our Game of Thrones-themed sleep podcast, where we talk about Game of Thrones and we break down episodes and stuff, but all you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights and press play. We're going to do the rest. What, what, what is the rest? What am, I, what, what am I getting at? Where are we going? Basically, we're going to create a safe place where you can set aside whatever's running through your brain, racing thoughts, worries, concerns, strategic maneuvering, future quandaries, thought experiments. I don't know who invented those thought experiments, but those do not go hand in hand with a restful night of, uh, you know, going off to dreamland. What we're going to do here, why, why I say it's a safe place, I'm going to, is a, uh, we're going to strike up a little uh, imaginary campfire, the two of us here. Just listen to my voice. And then my call over, you know, thought experiment, come on over. We're, we're having a little campfire. Uh, you know, worry work, come on over. Come on over. Hey, yeah, we got a campfire going here. You um, uh, incredibly, uh, you know, you, 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 angry one, come on over. It's okay you're angry. Come on, there's room for you at the fire here. Yeah, you, all, all those other thoughts that run around your brain, come on, gather around. Look at that fire. It's uh, so distracting and mesmerizing. And uh, excuse me, I'm going to talk to this person here. So, yeah, that, they're watching the fire. All your thoughts are watching the fire. Well, and uh, my story, my discussion at Game of Thrones is going to be like that fire. It's going to catch their attention. And you can watch the fire, you know, see what you see in there, imagine it, be relaxed, crackling, uh, you know, randomly, you know, flaming up and flaming down in a safe, safe way. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about a Game of Thrones episode. We'll give it a rundown. It's going to be like, well, said this, and then there was like a horse and a horse with horseshoes. And then I'm going to discuss stuff about what's up with those how do you put a horseshoe on anyway? That's actually a good question. I don't know. And I say, are they, you know, you, you know, what do horses think about horseshoes? Wait a second. I don't even know what a horseshoe does. That'll be, that's like what we do here. So first part, episode discussion. Second part, stuff that came up with Game of Thrones like horseshoes. What are the rules of horseshoes? That, that could, I'm not talking about horseshoes tonight. I guess I got it on the brain. But that's an, uh, you know, an example. Uh, and then after that, we'll talk about, you know, after we do enough of that, if you're still awake by some strange chance, we'll uh, have a visit from Sir Pounce and Tommen. And, and then I'll pray to the gods old and new. All told, we'll be here about an hour and a half, two hours. And, you know, just, just a little fire. I'll be tending the fire, telling the tales, the, the parts of your brain that are concerned and worried. They'll listen. You can lie back just on the edge of the fire, the warm, where it's just the right temperature, and you can drift off into sleep whenever you feel like it. That's what we're here for, to help you fall asleep. I hope it helps. We're on the web, www.sleepwithmepodcast.com. You can, Game of Thrones, uh, Game of Drones, Thrones episodes are at sleepwithmepodcast.com slash drones. Emails, feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com. I might have said that instead of the website. On Twitter, if you want to get a hold of me, it's Dearest Scooter. On Facebook, you can comment on the website. Any, any form of communication is fine.
We have a post office box, so if you want to send us a self-addressed stamped envelope, uh, I'll send you. If you want to send us a self-addressed uh, self-addressed stamped envelope, I'll send you three pages of outlines from the show. Just go to sleepwithmepodcast.com/sase. It'll be like taking part in something. I don't know. I remember self-addressed stamped envelopes and game shows. I'm not exactly sure what one had to do with the other. But yeah, if you want to try that out, you're more than welcome to. And if you want to help out the podcast, one listener, an initiative, which I'll probably talk about in the thank yous. But, uh, you know, just let one person know about the podcast that needs it. If you guys, uh, you know, bring one person in, you know, podcasts are going to do just great. Thanks for being here. I hope I help you fall asleep. All right, everybody, we're here and we're talking season three, episode seven. Let me double check. Number seven. Yeah, lucky number seven. The Bear and the Maiden Fair is the name of the episode. Uh, I don't know if that's the, it's not the Pentultimate, because I know, oh no, Siete, Siete, so Sept, like Sept, Sept Ultimate, Sept Ultimate episode, possibly, of the season three, probably, so 27th episode of in the schema, is that, <laughs> I'm busting out fake vocab right now. Uh, of, the, of the Game of Thrones, and and another enjoyable. I, I gotta say, I don't want to, um, you know, knock anybody off the rocker because you know the present moment is what we live in, and so the present moment is the best in some ways. But I gotta tell you, revisiting this season has been a delight. I have, I, I don't know, is this the best season of Game of Thrones? Some might say no because you got uh, Blackwater in season two and then you got uh, the stuff that happens in season four. I'd say, yeah. But boy, there. this is when the, um, I don't know, the acting is, has it been better? I don't, I can't, I mean, it's wonderful. So let's, let's dive into, let's dive into some of this uh, wonder. Uh, first of all, before, even at the opening, I have a note because I said, well, I, something I noticed for the first time was this line heading towards the wall, and I said to my, I said to myself, did I just bite, bump the mic? I did, but um, I said to myself, is that an aqueduct, or a canal, or a river? And I said, make sure to write that down, write that down, and we'll look into it. And it ends up, it is, uh, and it ended up, took me a little while to find a map that I wasn't confused by. It ends up, it's the King's Road, it goes right up to the wall. It, it, it was it was going in a way. I was like, well, it seems like it's man-made. So I was thinking it was a canal. Maybe they were getting water, but it wasn't. Um, well, I don't mean to go off topic right away, but Erie Canal, what the hell? can If, if I get a time, you know, maybe I got to get a hold of Bessos and Jeff Bessos and uh, Richard Warren Sears and James Cashpenny. This is not a, a like a teaser trailer or anything. Who the, who the hell filled in parts of the Erie Canal? What the fuck? Sorry to swear so early, too. Okay, pet peeve. I didn't even realize it was pet peeve till like a year ago. Um, and then reading the Erie Canal appears in uh, Moby Dick a couple times. So it even got me more agitated about that. But I'm not here to, you know, I'm just here to soothe. So just small pet peeve. Uh, but so this episode has got a bird call, green fields in the opening. And then we got our buddy John Snow in a great talk, and she says, "Well, how far are we? Well, a week off, so 
What do you mean you don't know how long it's going to take us? He said, well, yeah, when we took Castle Black, uh, we took the King's Road, just like on uh, Podcast Guy's map. She said, oh, you and your roads. And then she makes fun of the way they fight, you know, with the banging of the drums, waving of the banners. Uh, it's just funny. And he says, uh, how do they, the banners men fight? He says, they don't. That's an honor. Oh, and the drummers, that's an honor. He says, oh, they're boys. So they don't fight. And then he said, well, he said, why do you have drums? It helps people. And she said, this was the funniest part. She said, it was a rhythm to help people. Like, oh, you're left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot. Very, she's very funny. But, but actually, it goes even, this is what I mean. Even her humor, it, it, her, her, the acting is so good because it, uh, it's covering up some worry, I think, about uh, the vulnerability of both love and war and everything else that's going on. Uh, but then he talked about, oh, you know, everybody's going to see you come. And he's like, well, man, you know, Mance isn't the best. And then she says, you know, you know nothing, Jon Snow. And then we have that guy, Orel, it turns out his name is. He's given her attitude, saying, I want to be your man. And it's like, well, he didn't, you know, you, you're, you've been a jerk to me. He's He's nice. Oh, no, okay. Actually, I mixed it. No, no. So she says, okay. And then or this guy's name is Oral. He starts giving John Snow attitude. Uh, and John Snow's like, where did you learn that when you were in a bird? And he says, well, you know, he's got a bad view of humanity. People are, you know, work together when it suits them and, you know, when they don't. And you're not going to be able to hold on to her. Then we have uh, the next scene is uh, Rob... And Talissa and Mom and they're in the rain and so we're going to be delayed at the wedding. He's going to be mad about that. Then it goes into uh, Rob and Talissa and uh, sexy time, uh, as Borat would say. And then she get, after postcoital, Rob's like, "Yeah, I'm going to study the map." She's like, "Okay, I'm going to do a little postcoital letter writing." You know, in the glow, basking in the glow of your members only chest hair. And it's all very flirty. They're in, interacting. And then she starts talking about her mother. She's like, yeah, after I, you know, after every good lovemaking session, I like to write my mom. And, you know, he's like, well, okay. And she says, uh, you know, are we going to go to Volantis? I want to take you there. Meet my mommy. She says something about, uh, she talks about her, you know, her sex sexiness or something. And then she said, I don't buy, you know, I don't tell my mom about my pregnancy. And he's like, well, Rob says, what now? Which was funny. And then she says, can you, can you leave the war for one night? I had some thoughts about that. I can't remember what it was, though. Maybe I'll come back to it. But I think it's interesting. Uh, uh, seeing kind of like how the war and Rob's virility, vir- virility, it's like, okay, because he's like, well, I could, you know, I could go before he finds out she's pregnant. I mean, he's very happy and it's very, uh, you know, they're, they're in the you know, honeymoon phase of the relationship. So the sex is, uh, you know, Rob's like, well, you, you know, what would you say? We, uh, you know, if I didn't have to study this map, I could, you know, go, we could, you know, we could, you know what I mean? Uh, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. There's something about that. I, I, I can't wrap my head around it then we go straight from that scene to Tormund 
giving Rob lovemaking tips about how, you know, the moves that he uses. And then they're in the woods and Orel's uh, giving a greet a hard time. And, you know, oh, I could be your man because I'm, you know, I'm so worm-like and I didn't appreciate you till you had another guy, but now I appreciate you. And he said, then he's like, she's like, uh, I think she's ignoring him. I can't 100% remember. But he says, you love him. And she kind of nods. And he's really mad because he's so pretty. That's why you love him. And he got, you know, irritated. And then we have uh, Sansa talking to Marjorie. And she's like, all my life, you know, I kind of wanted to leave Winterfell and, you know, go from the small town girl to King's Landing. And, you know, see all the fancy people and the parties at night and the candles in the windows and she's kind of a little mean on herself you know she she calls herself stupid and she says it twice like she's a stupid little girl or something and then uh it seems like marjorie's like okay let me give you a little sisterly and i don't know i like marjorie am i is it marjorie i hope i'm talking about i mean we all know who i'm talking about but uh i'm like is she really caring i think so but i'm not positive she says, come on, Sansa, let's take a walk. I remember, you know, first time I met you, you looked so miserable. And she's like, I want you to be happy. And my grandmother wants you to be happy. Now, if it's your first time watching, hold on to these words, people, and let them put them back in your mind, file it away to, to you know, to, to be paid off. And she's like, you would have been happy with Loris, but, you know, we have to make the best. And she's like, uh, you have to make the best. And Sansa's like, with him, uh, Tyrion? And she's like, yeah, has he been uh, mean to you? And she's like, no. She's like, hasn't he even tried to be nice? She's like, yeah. She's like, but uh, you're not attracted to him? She's like, I'm not attracted to Lannisters. And she's like, oh, you know, I got the worst Lannister. And she, she and Sansa's like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I'm not trying to out, out pity you or whatever. And she's like, no, 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 don't worry. My kid's going to be the king. And I'm going to teach him. You know, not to be like Joffrey. And your son might be, you know, head Lannister. And then they, she talks about like having sex with Tyrion. And she's like, uh, you know, what is it? What is it you're afraid of? She's like, it's not the losing your virginity or it's not, or you can't be attracted to him. What is it? And uh, I think, let's see, Marjorie says, some women like tall men, some women like short men, some women like hairy men, some men like Baldwin, gentlemen, rough men, ugly men, pretty men, pretty girls. Uh, most women don't know what they like until they've tried it. And sadly, so many of us get to try so little before we're old and gray. He might surprise you. I've heard he's experienced. And then she says, uh, we're very complicated, you know. I have a feeling this was written by guys, maybe not, though. Uh, you know, pleasing us takes practice. And then Sansa's like, where'd you get all this great information? Your mother? And then Marjorie says, yes, sweet girl. My mother taught me. You get the sense of, like, she's a little white lie there. And then we have Tyrion and Bronn talking about the same thing, like a reverse conversation. And Tyrion's like, oh, man, what did I get myself into with her? And, uh... You know, she's so young, and I feel guilty, and Shay's going to be pissed, and Bronn's trying to be his truth teller, say, well, you're not going to marry Shay, and Sansa is beautiful, and, you you know, you can't have the best of both worlds because you're a Lannister, 
and be, you know, king of the north or, you know, run the north, have both your women. And, uh, and, and Tyrion says, I don't, I don't pay you to put evil notions in your head. The ones that are there don't need any company. And uh, Tyrion, uh, Bronn's like, no, no, uh, you pay me to defend you, your bodyguard type. Evil notions are free, buddy. And then this next scene is, this is another one for the ages. Again, in the throne room, like last week with uh, Baelish and Varys. This is with uh, Tywin and Joff. And uh, Tywin comes in. It's, so Tywin, he goes into the throne room. And he's like, uh, you, you wanted to speak with me? Your grace or something? He acts kind of like a little bit surprised, but in a kind of aggressive way. And then uh, Joff Trick gets a little bratty. He's like, oh, he's like, I want to report on the council. And he's like, you're welcome to come to the meetings. And he's like, uh, I'm busy. I'm the king. And he's like, oh, yeah. And he's like, plus you're having the meetings all the way over in your tower. Why? And he's like, well, that's where I work. You know, I, I like to be productive with my time. I don't want to be walking around. And so he says, if, you know, if I want to go to the meeting, I have to walk, I'd have to walk over there and walk up all those stairs. And this is the first, uh, as, as uh, horrible as Tywin is, he's also brilliant in the way he is, his aggressive. He says, oh, we could have you carried. And uh, then Joss like, okay, change, time to change topics. And he says, what's going on with these dragons and this girl? And he says, huh? I don't know. He goes, I heard there are dragons. Where did you hear it? He's like, oh, don't worry about it. He was like, there's nothing. You know, dragons aren't a big deal. And there's still the stuff of stories. Curiosities on the other side of the world are no threat to us. And then Joff gets some attitude. And he's like, well, how do you know? You know, how are you sure about that? And Tywin's like, I have, uh, you know, people I work with that tell me these things. Uh, you know, for a king, you know, to counsel a king that doesn't know anything. And he's like, I haven't been counseled in time. And again, he says, you are being counseled at this very moment. Now, a quick aside, this is like a Star Wars level. Uh, this guy, uh, hopefully he's going to be in, I don't know if he's in the newest Star Wars coming out, but if uh, by any chance anyone with any Star Wars power you know, for any of these movies, you need to, Charles Dance needs to be in a movie. He's like a, some sort of Sith Lord or, you know, I mean, geez, when he says that you are being counseled at this very moment, the way he says it, it's it's priceless. And then Josh says, well, yeah, he goes, I want you to keep me up to date. And then, he, he, he you know, Tywin's like, okay, we're done here. Uh, bye-bye. But then Joff, as Tywin walks off, he puts his like hand to his face, and he just has this very interesting look. Um, I don't know. Again, I, I'm big on these post-discussion looks, I guess. But that's another good one. Then we have Khaleesi and her crew outside Yunkai, the Yellow City, and uh, Jorah's like they're gonna hide behind the walls and pick us off. And, you know, we don't need this city. And Khaleesi's like, well, how many slaves are in there? Like 200,000. And she's like, that's your 200,000 reasons we need to take this city. And then we have um, a guy in like one of those carriages that gets carried. 
And Khaleesi's kind of showing off her strength with the uh, Unsullied. I wrote down the guy's name, but I can't. Randau or Ranzau. And she says, yeah, you, you know, you can, you may approach. Have a, you do want to sit? And then my, my, my you know, my, my lovely interpreter says, you know, will the noble, noble lord take refreshment? And then Khaleesi pulls a little job of the hut move with a piece of meat for her dragons to show even more power. And he says, you know, we're generous. Leave us to conduct our affairs. I'll give you some gold. And, uh, you know, we got boats for you, whatever you like. And she says, uh, oh, I have a gift for you, your life. Uh, and she says, uh, reject this gift and I will show you no mercy. And I just, um, a lot more good dialogue in that scene, but I just thought the way they showed the Khaleesi First of all, she looks both powerful and beautiful, but they just frame it in such a wonderful way. As I don't, I don't know. I, I, I'm not a, I'm not a director of photography, but I don't know who was directing that episode. But bravo! And then we have an interesting uh, segue because we go to Tyrion and Shay talking about golden chains, which I thought you know you go from the chain breaker. Uh, to Tyrion, and he's like, oh, come on, baby, you know, I'll set you up somewhere. I'll buy you a ship. You know, we go someplace safe. She's like, do I need a ship? Am I going somewhere? And uh, he, she's like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I got to do something. I'm a Lannister of Casterly Rock. Because she's like, let's just split together. And she and then she goes again. She's like, I'm Shay the funny whore, of course. And then, you know, they go back and forth about him being attracted to Sansa and him loving her, and then again we get a little uh, possible uh, taste of things that come because he's like, you know, you're always going to be my lady, and she's like, no, no, I'm, you know, you, I'm nothing to you, and it's like, oh, and then we go from that to uh, ship ship sunk under the water, another bird call, and then the red woman talking to Gendry. And she's like, do you miss it here? And he's like, ah, no. What about your father? He's like, I don't have a father. She goes, you don't know, you know, you're, you know, you're strong. Where do you think you got that from? And he's like, I don't know. And he's like, you know, my mom was a, you know, tavern wench. And she's like, well, mine was a slave. And she's like, so was I. This is a red woman. I think I forgot to say that maybe. And then she said, but the Red Lord of Light pulled me out of that life, you know, life and uh, raised me up. And he's like, well, I was born in Flea Bottom. She's like, well, you have noble blood. He's like, my father was some, she goes, that's your father's house up on that peak. You're, you're, you're Robert Baratheon's kid. And then she says, there's power in King's blood. And then we have Arya and the Brotherhood, and they're trying to make up to yeah, Come on, Arya, don't be mad. Uh, come sit by the fire. And she's like, I don't talk to traitors. And he's like, come on, the red god is the one true god. And she's like, he's not mine. And then he's like, well, who's your god? And they're like, death. And then she's like, they're like whoa, whoa. And then they're like, we got to go on this raid. She's like, I thought you were taking me to see my mom. I'm like, yeah, in a minute. We, we're busy right now. And then she's like, I'm out of here. And she runs out and she runs right into the, uh, she runs in the woods, runs into the hound. And then we have Brienne kind of locked in some room. And uh, Jamie goes to say goodbye. And he's like, you got to, you know, you're staying here. Lord Bolton's on his way out. 
She's like, is a lot going to stay here? And he's like, yeah. And he says, I owe you a debt. And she's like, yeah, well, you know, you, you owe Caitlin Stark a debt. Now you got to, uh, you know, keep up my end of the bargain. And he's like, well. And he, she's like, no, no, no. You owe me a debt, then you, you know, do it. So say you're going to return the Stark girls. So he swears it. And she says, all right, bye. She says, goodbye, Sir Jamie. And then we have Kyburn and Jamie getting the horse up. And Kyburn's like, uh, helps him out a little bit. And uh, I think Bolton's like, yeah, see, you know, make sure to say your, uh, say hi to your dad for me. So I'll tell him we send our regards. And he's like, have a safe trip. And then uh, Locke kind of has mean to him. He says, you know, we're going to, you know, take good care of your friend. And then we have a scene, another scene with Theon, where they talk about his, his large unit, uh, kind of his Dirk Diggler type thing. And I, got, I don't know, I guess I, I don't, did I already talk about this? But it's interesting. I haven't listened to any of the behind the scenes on this uh, season, but everything that's going on with Theon in this uh this uh, hobbit-like boy who who was abusing him, I was like, how much of this it was in the books? How much of it is in the show? And how much of it is a is like a holding up of the mirror to us Americans of saying, you know, look at look at what you you, you know what you're capable of uh, or your country is uh, because it's just so intense. I don't know if this type of stuff's ever been handled. And it's intense stuff, so I'm not going to go into detail. I mean, if you've watched this season, you know what I'm saying. Uh, but just like, uh, just to say, hey, wake up, guys. You know, this is a world, I don't know. It's, I'm going to have to watch, I guess, the behind the scenes. But then we have, like, John and a great hunting. And he's like, you know, don't scare it off. And she's like, I'm going to get scared off. I'm going to take it out. And then they see a windmill. And she's like, is that a palace? He's like, no, it's a windmill. She's like, well, who built it? They must have been great builders. He's like, dude, Winterfell's like three times that high. She's like, oh, I'm sorry, Jon Snow from Winterfell. Uh, My daddy was a fancy lord. I lived in a tower that touched the clouds. And he's like, well, you're going to be swooning if if you like the windmill. She's like, what's swooning? He's like, fainting. And she's like, when a girl sees blood and collapses, or or he says that, and she's like, why would that? And she's like, oh, well, uh, not all girls. And she's like, oh, do you like the girls who swoon? Oh, spider, Jon Snow, save me. Uh, and she says, uh, let's see, a dress, my dress is made from pure silk from tra la 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 day. And he's like, well, I'd like to see you. And, you know, and then they get all... Uh, you know, they're like, hey, baby. And I think they make out there. Oh, no, he gets all soft. He says, what do you know? Uh, he says, hey, great, uh, you know, you're not going to win. He goes, you've tried six times. You've never beaten us. It's not going to happen. You're just not organized enough. We're way more organized. You guys are going to fail. And she's like, it's different this time. He's like, it's not. And he says, if if you attack the wall, all of you are going to die. And she says, all of us, you're mine and I'm yours. Uh, if we die, we die, but first we'll live. And he says, yeah, well, first we'll live. And then they kiss. And then we're back at the slapstick camp of Jojen and uh, Bran. 
and uh, Osha's yelling, and uh, Hodor, Osha, Hodor gets caught in the front of uh, Osha and the other uh, the sister are fighting. And he's like, Hodor? He says, like, this funny, awkward Hodor, worth it to see. And, you know, there's like, Rand's like, I'm going north of the wall to find Jon Snow with these guys. And she's like, oh, no, you're not. And he's like, I am. So he, him and Osha get into it. Uh, and she's like, we're going, you know, we're going to Castle Black. He's like, I'm not there. He's not there. I got to follow this raven. And she's like, it's bad up there. And then it's even more levels of, she's like, I had a man once, a good man, Bruni. And just, she uses the same words, I was mine and he was his, or he was mine, I was his. And then, but one night he, Bruni left and when he came back, he wasn't a, a man anymore. And she's like, that's what's going on north of the wall. So you're not, you know, you're not, you're not going to go there. And then we have Jamie and Kyburn talking about his arm and Jamie's kind of, got the self-pity going he's like what's the purpose of a man with no hand and Kyron's like yeah we did a pretty good job here and he's like you're way better than Picel why don't you have a chain are you a perv and he's like no I'm not a perv I'm just curious I like to experiment and Jamie's like on living people and he's like uh uh, sometimes and he's like uh, dying paupers or poor folks and then Kyron's like, well, how many people have you killed? And he's like, 50, 100, I don't know. And uh, countless, countless has a nice ring to it. How many lives have you saved? Jamie's like, a half a million, King's Landing. And he's like, oh, well, okay. And he's like, did you get hold of uh, Brianne's dad? He's like, yeah, she offered 300 bucks. He offered 300 bucks. That's all he has. And but he, Locke's not going to take it. But Jamie's like, that's 300 gold coins, I think. So Jamie's like, that's pretty good. And he's like, no, he wants the uh, the sapphires that you talked about. And then Jamie's like, uh oh, uh, I better go back there. Am I, am I am I a hero or not? And he's like, look, we're going back to get her. And then they go back, and uh, what's his name? Locke's got a Brienne fighting a bear. And uh, Jamie's like, you need to break this up. He's like, well, it's a little late now, my lord. And he's like, what do you guys, you guys are jerks. And Jamie's like, I'll save you, Brienne. And then they end up kind of, she ends up, he ends up saving her. Then she ends up saving him. So it's kind of like it cancels each other out. And then he he's like, we're out of here. And then the other dude, like the guys that Jamie, Jamie's like, you know, you need a reward for me if you bring me to my dad or you cannot get a reward. But, you know, Bolton said to bring me back. So they're like, well, now Jamie's their cash cow. So Bolton's or Locke's guys and Bolton's guys are kind of like, uh, and Jamie goes, uh, what do you think is more important to Bolton? Uh, uh, you, 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 or uh, Tywin Lannister getting me back? And then the bear kind of, and then James like, well, sorry about the sapphires, we're out. And then the bear rolls again, roar, roars again, and that's the end of the episode. So it's a good episode, a great episode. I mean, that scene with, I mean, there were some good scenes, but that scene with Tywin and Joff, oof, man, Charles Dance, buddy. And I heard he was on Bleak House from uh, Divine Miss M said that, so uh, that's something to look into if you need some more dance in your life. All right, let's uh, move on. 
Uh, so you guys like when I do poetry, I meant to do this poem actually another episode ago, but it has now even more meaning to me now. Uh, so I'm going to read it. And uh, I mean, well, more than one, but some immediacy. Actually, when you hear this, I already, but, but anyway, I'm going to read it. It's uh, the name of the poem is uh, Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Though wise men at their end know dark is right, because their words had forked no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. Good men, the last wave by, crying how bright their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay. Rage, Rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight and learned too late they grieved it on its way. Do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men near death who see with blinding sight. Blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on the sad height, Curse bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. That's a poem by uh, Dylan Thomas. I just want to drop the poem. I don't want to go too deep, but uh, do not go gentle into that good night. And I think it was from um, last episode when, uh, What's his name? Dondrick Bondarian. Bon- Beric Dondarian was talking about uh, what he sees on the other side. Made me think of this poem. Uh, so rage, rage against the dying of the light. So rage, rage against the dying of the light. Whatever, you know, whatever that might mean to you. So Talissa was writing a letter to her mother. It wasn't in... Uh, uh, Valerian or in English or whatever the hell they call it, common tongue or whatever. So I had to look that up. So I looked up a little bit of Talissa on Game of Thrones wiki. Talissa Stark. I decided two things that day. As a quote, I would not waste my years planning dances and masquerades with the other noble ladies. And when I came of age, I would never live in a slave city again. Talissa Stark. Talissa Stark, name Mager, M-A-E-G-Y-R, is a Character in the third season. Now that's just like, okay, biography. She was a noble woman from the free city of Volantis, the oldest and largest of the free cities. When she was 12, as we know, she went to her parents were out of town. Her brother almost drowned. He was saved by a slave. And she was so, so inspired by the act that she set two things right. First, she decided to move away from uh, slave cities and second, she, you know, became a more serious person, I think, and, you know, studied medicine and medical training rather than partying like the other nobles. Oh, this says she writes a letter in Valerian claiming it is for her mother. Um, I thought it was in another language, so, uh, yeah, well, sorry about that. But that was a little bit about Talissa. Uh, what about Yun Kai? This is over at a wiki of ice and fire from the books just because it has a little more detail. Yunkai, dubbed the Yellow City, is a city on the eastern coast of Slaver's Bay. To the west lies the island of Yeros, 
North of Yunkai is a no-man's land. Its main export is bed slaves. Cities made of yellow bricks with crumbling walls and tall pyramids. The emblem is a harpy, as we've discussed, with a whip and an iron collar. Uh, it has an army of about 5,000 uh, slaves. And I think that's about it about Yunkai. I just want to you know, fill you in a little bit about it there. All right, so, okay, yeah. Well, in this episode, Khaleesi throws that meat to the dragons. It reminded me of in Return of the Jedi, which, I mean, because I was born in a place uh, where I was able to see Return of the Jedi in the movie theater, but not the other movies, I think. I mean, I, I think I saw Return of the Jedi in the movie theater. Maybe they put it out twice. I don't know. But, yeah, uh, you know, uh, the the first part of that movie has a special place in my heart as like uh, one of the better parts of a Star Wars movie for me. But there's a scene with Jabba Hutt in there where he's like fishing around for little creatures he likes to eat. And I said, oh, that reminds me of Jabba the Hutt, the Khaleesi. No, no, no. But I said, well, who the hell is this Jabba Hutt? I know I looked up some stuff about him in the past. Because they had a little character, Wendy Marshtrap, who made a couple appearances on the show. But uh, So I thought I'd look it up. I got a bunch of, and I said, whoa, boy, there's a lot here. So we'll learn a little bit about Jabba. I mean, a, a lot. This is, some of it's from uh, Wikipedia and some of it's from Star Wars Wikia. I thought there was a, oh, this is the Wikipedia. But I guess, like, if you're a real Star Wars fan, you know, especially these movies, it's like, oh, where's the... Because even in this, they have a canon and a legends tab. I don't know what that means. Uh, content, parts of this article are no longer up to date. And may have information affected by the Clone Wars project. Uh, so this, this is, you know, don't go right in a, a fish. This is like the unofficial job of the HUD biography stuff. All right, so first of all off is that Jabba... Uh, Des D E S I L I J I I C T I U R E. So Jabba Desilisha T U R I or something better known as Jabba the Hut, often called the bloated bloated one, but never to his face. One of the notorious Hut crime 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 lords. Uh, ran a large you know, criminal empire in the Outer Rims from Tatooine. At the height of his power, he was one of the most uh, you know, powerful crime lords. He started small, but spread his influence quickly through illegal activities, spice smuggling, gun running, piracy. Uh, he was powerful enough to command respect from the galaxy's ruling government. So much so that during the Clone Wars, the Republic went to great lengths to avoid Jabba's displeasure. Uh, he later placed a hefty mark on Han Solo, a former employee who lost a load of spice to an Imperial patrol vessel. Uh, he got him. Uh, biography, earlier life, 600 BBY to 22 BBY. I don't know what that means before. I don't know. Uh, Jabba, he was born Nal Hutta. Child of Zorba, dislike it to or whatever. He took formal control around 2 BBY when he took out Zhilak, uh, the former leader. I think that must be his dad. At the incredibly young age of 80, 
the up-and-coming gangster establishes empire on the remote world of Tatooine, hiding out in a monastery. Uh, he, st- he started small as a gunrunner with his friend Ifan Taman during Palpatine's rise to power. He was one of uh, several gangsters uh, fighting for dominance, including Cease Fromm and Prince uh, Zior, X-I-Z-O-R, who's from the Black Sun Empire. Uh, due to the attractive nature of becoming a gang- gangster during the galaxy's time of change, he attracted minions. Bib Fortuna would become his major domo early on. He was always in attendance when Jabba was in pod races or palace or other ventures. He would be replaced by Narun Kuthus. He had a gladiator, you know, that big creature in his snake pit. Uh, Jabba liked to bet on pod races. He took advice from his astromech droid R5X2, interfering with Jedi business. Ifant Man and uh, Jabba made an ill-fated plan to smuggle goods to a planet where they mess with one Jedi. This is like a lot of, uh, a lot of backstudy. Let's see this one. Intrigue among us. Soon, the talents of a young smuggler named Han Solo caught the attention of Jabba and his uncle Zhilak. Impressed by his performance. Oh, actually, we don't want to read this because it could be a Han Solo movie coming out. Okay, here we go. Personality and traits. Jabba's a typical hot, greedy, malicious, pragmatic, adepting, adept at bending others to his will. Prideful, he collected trophies and trinkets. He had a lust for female humanoids. Uh, Jabba also had a softer side, as evident when he was overjoyed at the return of his hutlet, Rota. He was uh, furious when his uh, hutlet disappeared, his son disappeared. Uh, these two attributes point to the possibility Jabba cared about and respected family to a certain extent. Likewise, he also had empathy to people's love of their offspring. Uh, Jabba's right arm has a tattoo of his uh, his family's jet, whatever you however say that, uh, behind the scenes origins. Uh, Jabba was created by George Lucas, creator of Star Wars, but he was known only as Jabba the Hutt until his identification and later expanded universe works. He appears in the second draft of Star Wars, uh, 1975's Adventures of Starkiller, Episode 1, Star, The Star Wars, as a larger and manger slavering hulk of two gruff and grisly pirates. The pirates, along with Han Solo and Chewbacca, work for the pirate Captain Oxus aboard a starship. Lucas's third draft, entitled The Star Wars, from the adventures of Luke Starkiller, introduced Jabba as the leader of a band of pirates who paid for Han Solo's ship. Still a go- g- gross hulk, Jabba approaches Solo and Mos Eisley and demands use of the ship, but is thwarted when the Cornelian blasts away from Utapu with Luke Kenobi and the droids. A tweaked version of this latter scene went on to appear in the final script and was filmed during the production of the Star Wars film. However, time and money constraints prevented Lucas from including it in the final cut. Uh, the final script of Star Wars changed the spelling of his name to Jabba the Hutt and described him as a fat, slug-like creature with eyes on extended feelers and a huge mouth. Uh, Lucas had intended for him to be a fur- furry Chewbacca-esque creature 
and had actor Declan Mulholland play him wearing a shaggy coat. Mulholland would have been replaced with a stop-motion creature during post-production had the scene not ended up on the cutting room floor. The scene did appear in the film's novelization and comic book adaptation, both using the H-U-T spelling of the screenplay. Uh, the 1981 radio drama, wow, replaced Jabba with his henchman Heater. The novelization describes Jabba as a giant tub of muscle and suet topped by a shaggy skull. Where in the comics he appears as a walrus-like species, he's later identified as a nimbanel. The depiction of Jabba went on to appear in two additional issues of a Marvel comic. Although no retcon addressed this issue, Abel G. Pena, a Star Wars author who has fit other continuity problems from the Marvel series into the Star Wars canon, suggested the discrepancy between Jabba's appearance and his canonical appearance uh, as a slug-like creature can be explained by reconning Jabba the Hutt into actually being a boss ped beneath. Hopefully, I don't even understand any of that. Although not present in the final version of Star Wars, Jabba is mentioned several times in the film as being owed a large sum of credits by Han Solo. In 1980s Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back, Jabba again does not appear, but Solo's continued debt causes him to be frozen in carbonite and taken a hut during the climax of the film. So that's just a little about uh, Jabba the Hutt. There's plenty, endless amounts more that I'll link to in the show notes, okay? Uh, when the Khaleesi is dealing with these uh, Yunkai guys, they say, hey, we'll buy you a ship or many ships as you want. Uh, or they say, gold's waiting on your ship. She's like, what ship? Oh, the ship we gave you. And I, mean, I was like, how much do ships cost back then? I mean, you know, in the mid- medieval medieval times or whatever. You know, back in the wooden ship days, and I was thinking of uh, Moby Dick. How much does that ship cost? And then, like, how much does a ship, like a big ship, cost nowadays? So, I got some various sources. First one's from Reddit. Uh, Reddit ask historians. This is two years old. Uh, how much in modern dollars did it cost for Columbus's first expedition? And interestingly, uh, how did it compare to the cost of the moon landing? That question was asked by Happel St- Stacco, and additionally asked, uh, did Columbus get all the funding from the Spanish crown? Any idea on what percentage of the budget was by the comparison of the U.S. funds? And, you know, just, just comparing these two kinds of exploration. Uh, so the comments sorted by best, the uh, first one comes up is uh, by Yawa Poma. Uh, quoting, since I have it on my desk, I'll point to Phillips and Phillips' The Worlds of Christopher Columbus, page 134. In summary, the voyage costs 2 million maravedis in total. Columbus brought a quarter of that to the table. He borrowed it from financiers outside of Spain. Uh, the monarchs put up 1.4, 1.14 million, and the town of Palos covered the rest. This does not count the various loans and grants awarded to Columbus by the monarchs and other institutions to develop a plan of action and acquire specialized personnel. Since the Spanish monarchs were forced to pay 24 million Maravedis to the Moors in order to get them to leave Grenada, the treasury was not doing so well. 
There's an excellent article. Look for this. Look for Satava, Columbus' first voyage of loss from a historical accountant's perspective. And then uh, somebody asked, oh, I'm surprised. I thought the cost would have been the ship, which would have been could have been wrecked or lost. With, you know, how much were wages and the other things? And then Yarrow Palma comes back. Yawar Palma. It's easier to lease the ships. They were not that great anyway, but costs are really with attracting sailors and experienced men and keeping them alive with food or wine. Historian L.A. says actually a lot of costs went into maritime insurance in case everything was lost. Also, a Maravetus is a smaller unit, cur- smaller unit of cur- currency than the real or the escudo. It's frequently used as a bookkeeping unit because it could be converted into silver or gold. In some ways, it's like calculating using a penny. <laughs> it's confusing. Here's another comment from uh, Davarada. Uh, the first voyage of Columbus was small and only partially funded by the monarchs. Uh, 1.41 million does not compare to the $744 million budget for NASA in 1961. The space program was large and an ever-growing part of the U.S. budget, peaking in 1966 at $5.933 billion, or 4.41% of the U.S. federal budget. NASA spent more than $5 billion in 1965 and 67, and since those were the years the Saturn V rocket was designed and tested. By 69, NASA's budget was down to $4.25 billion and 2.31% of federal spending. The uh, number of people employed directly by the Apollo project was several orders of magnitude larger than the number of men on Columbus's first voyage. His second voyage had 17 ships and 1,400 men, probably had an impact on the Spanish royal budget uh, comparable to the Project Mercury on the 61 U.S. budget. Yet, overall, the Spanish crown did very little direct investing in their colonial empire. They granted charters, but the actual explorers or conquistadores had to take all the risks and fit the, foot the bill. And there's an ongoing discussion that I'll link to there. And then there's uh, this uh, Wikipedia article on medieval ships. The ships of medieval Europe were powered by sail or oar, both or a large variety mostly based in much older conservative design, although wider and more frequent communications within Europe meant exposure to a variety of improvements. Experimental features were costly and rarely attempted. Uh, Ships in the north were influenced by Viking vessels, while those in the south were by classical Roman vessels. However, there was technological change. The different traditions used different construction methods, clinker in the north, caravel in the south. By the end of the period, caravel construction would come to dominate the building of large ships. The period would also see a shift from a steering oar or side rudder to the stern rudder and the developmental from single development from single to multi-mass ships. Some sailing ships were in the Gnar, the, the Trade Cog, the Hulk, the Caravel. The Carrick, uh, smaller vessels include the Crayer, the Hoy, the Picard, huh, Captain Picard. Uh, Ward ships include the Galley, the Longship, the Ballinger, the Berlin. So that's just a little on medieval ships. Uh, I don't have time for this article, but there's a long article from the PirateKing.com. 
on a brief history of wind-powered ships that I'll link to. And then we have the modern day with these container ships. And I just, you know, I was like, huh, how much do these cost? Container ships are cargo ships. This is from Wikipedia. Carry all, carry all of their load and truck size intermodal containers, a technique called containerization. They're a common mean of commercial intermodal freight transportation and now carry most seagoing non-bulk cargo. A container ship is measured in 20-foot equivalent units, TEU. Typical loads are a mix of 20-foot and 40-foot, two TEU, stand, ISO standard containers, with the latter predominant. And this is on vessel purchases. In recent years, the oversupply of container ship capacity has caused prices to fall for new and used ships. From 2008 to 2009, new container ship prices dropped from by 19 to 33%, while prices for 10-year-old ships dropped by 47 to 69%. In March 2010, the average price in March 2010, the average price for a geared 500-ton container ship was $10 million, while gearless ships of 6,512,000 TEUs average prices of 74 to and 105 million, respectively. At the same time, second-hand prices for 10-year-old geared ships of 500, 2,500, and 3,500 TEU capacity average prices of $4,015,000,000 Wow. Four million. I mean, that's still a lot of money, but you think about housing prices in the Bay Area. We should work on getting a couple of ships. What do you guys say about them? SS uh, Scooter Pie? Yeah. All right, so that's just a little bit about ships and costs and stuff, all right? All right, so when we get to that uh, scene with the bear in the pit with Brienne, I said, holy, that's one hell of a bear. Is that a grizzly bear? And then I said, well, let me look up stuff about grizzly bears. And so I'm just going to do the Wikipedia article. But there's an interesting article. Uh, maybe I'll put it in there about uh, – I'll put some other articles in there. And there's also the movie that's been on my list that I have not seen, Grizzly Man. So maybe I'll see that movie in honor of grizzly bears too. But here's a little bit of grizzly bears from uh, Wikipedia. A grizzly bear, Ursus arctos. Is any North American species of subspecies of brown bear, including the mainland grizzly? Well, I, I'm already learning something, honestly. So it's just one Kodiak bear, peninsular grizzly, and the recently extinct California grizzly and Mexican grizzly. Uh, specialists sometimes call the grizzly the North American brown bear because the grizzly and brown bear are one species on two continents. It should not be confused with the black grizzly or Usuri brown bear, which was another giant brown bear subspecies inhabiting Russia, northern China, and Korea. Since the mainland grizzly is so widespread, it is representative and archetypal for the whole subspecific group. Even so, classification is being revised along genetic lines, except for females with cubs. Grizzlies are normally solitary, active animals, but in coastal areas, grizzlies gather on streams, lakes, rivers, and ponds during salmon season. Usually every other year, females produce one to four, usually two, uh, children, which are small and weigh only 500 grams from one pound. Uh, meaning of grizzly, the word grizzly means grizzled, that is, golden and gray tips of the hair. 
This is not to be confused with the word grisly with an S. Uh, nonetheless, after careful study, naturalist George Orr formally classified the California grizzly in 1850, not for its hair, but for its character as Ursus horribilis, horribilis, evolution and genetics. The ancestors of the grizzly bear subspecies were brown bears originating in Eurasia that traveled to North America 50,000 years ago. It's a very recent event on the evolutionary time scale, causing the North American grizzly bear to be very similar to brown bears, as we said, in Siberia and Northeast Asia. When it received its scientific name in 1815, the grizzly was classified as a separate species from other bears. However, modern genetic testing reveals the grizzly to be a subspecies of brown bear. Appearance, most uh, adult female grizzlies weigh between 130 to 200 kilos. That's uh, 300 to 400 pounds-ish. Males are 180 to 360 kilos, 400 to 790 pounds. Holy shit. Average total length for the subspecies is 198 centimeters, 6.5 feet. A large coastal male may stand up to 9.8 feet, 3 meters on its back legs. And they've been known to weigh up to uh, 1,500 pounds, although variable from blonde to nearly black. Grizzly bear fur is typically brown in color with white tips. A pronounced hump appears on their shoulders. The hump is a good way to distinguish a black bear from a grizzly bear, as black bears do not have this hump. Aside from the hump, a grizzly bear can be identified from a dished-in profile of the face with short, rounded ears, whereas a black bear had, whereas a black bear has a straight face profile and longer ears. So in addition to being dangerous, they're very cute. Uh, range in population. Brown bears are found in Asia, Europe, North America, one of the widest ranges of bear species in North America. They used to range from Alaska to Mexico and as far east as the Hudson Bay. Species are now found in Alaska, uh, south through western Canada, into the northwestern United States. In Canada, they're about 25,000 in B.C., but then it goes on to say they're 16,000, so we'll see. Uh, Alaskan population of about 30,000 is the highest population in any province state in North America. Only about 1,500 are left in the lower 48, 800 in Montana, 600 in Wyoming in the Yellowstone-Teton area. There are about 70 to 100 in Idaho. Uh, longevity of grizzly bear is by nature a long-living animal. Females live longer than males due to their less dangerous life, avoiding seasonal breeding fights males engage in. The average lifespan for males is 22 years, with that of a female slightly longer at 26. Well, that, that short of lifespan is actually not slightly longer. Uh, the oldest inland grizzly was 35, the oldest co coastal bear, 39. Captive grizzlies have lived as long as 44 years. Hibernation grizzlies hibernate for five to seven months a year. During this time, female grizzly bears give birth to their offspring who consume milk from their mother and gain strength. Or wow, amazing stuff. So they give birth while they're, maybe not while they're asleep, but in hibernation. To prepare for hibernation, grizzlies must prepare a den, consume an immense amount of food as they do not eat during hibernation. Grizzly bears do not defecate or urinate during the entire hibernation period. 
The male grizzly bear's hibernation ends in early to mid-March, while females emerge in April or May. In preparation for winter, bears gain approximately 400 pounds, 180 kilos, during a period of hyperphagia before going into hibernation. The bear often waits for a snowstorm to enter its den to lessen the chance predators will find it. The dens are typically at elevations above 1,800 meters on north-facing slopes. Uh, diet, although grizzlies are of the carnivora species or whatever, they are omnivores. They eat both plants and animals. They prey on large mammals, moose, elk, caribou, deer, sheep, bison, and black bears, although also salmon, trout, and bass. They, they'll scavenge food or carrion left behind on, by other animals. They'll also eat birds. Their eggs in Yellowstone Park, their diet consists mostly of white park, bind nuts, tubers, grasses, rodents, army cutworm moths, and scavenged carcasses. In Alaska, they have salmon, clams, sedge grass, and berries. They also known to eat marmots, ground squirrels, lemmings, voles. Uh, interspecies competition with the reintroduction of gray wolves, CO7, Yellowstone. Many visitors have seen a once common struggle between two keystone species of grizzly and the gray wolf. Interactions with the bears of Yellowstone, the grizzlies, has been under considerable study. Typically, they'll be in defense, they'll fight over young or a carcass. The grizzly bear can use its keen sense of smell to locate a kill. The wolves and the grizzly compete for it. One wolf may try to distract the bear while the others feed. The bear may retaliate by chasing the wolves. If the wolves become too aggressive for the bear, uh, the bear might sit down to protect itself. Rarely do these interactions result in death or serious injury. It's not worth the risk. Uh, ecological role. The grizzly bear has a relationship, a mutualistic relationship with fleshy fruit-bearing plants as it consumes the fruit. It disperses its seeds during excrenation in a germable, germ, germinable condition. That makes grizzly bears, bears important seed distributors. Uh, while foraging for tree roots, plant bulbs, or ground squirrels, they stir up the soil. Uh, increases uh, species richness in alpine ecosystems, uh, causes greater plant diversity. Uh, nitrogen cycling is facilitated by grizzlies digging for food and by their uh, habit of carrying salmon carcasses into forests. It has been found that the spruce tree uh, within 500 meters, 1,600 feet of, feet of the stream where salmon contains uh, nitrogen from the salmon on which the bears preyed. They also manage prey populations uh, to prevent overgrazing of the forests. Uh, the salmon they leave behind also serves as food for uh, gulls, ravens, and foxes. Uh, conflict with humans. Grizzlies are considered by some experts to be more aggressive than black bears when defending themselves or their offspring. Uh, mothers defending their cubs are the most prone to attacking uh, but they normally avoid contact with people. In spite of their physical advantages, they never view humans as prey, or almost never. Uh, most are from a bear that's surprised uh, with either children or food to protect. 
uh, exasperating this fact as intense human use of grizzly habitat coincides with seasonal movement of grizzly bears, uh, like during the salmon spawning season. Uh, bear watching, this will be the last thing we talk about. In the past 20 years in Alaska, ecotourism has boomed. While many uh, people come to Alaska to bear hunt, the majority come to watch the bears and observe their habitats. Some of the best bear viewing in the world occurs on the coastal areas of the Alaska Peninsula and Lake Clark National Park and Preserve, Katmai Park and Preserve, McNeil River, Sanctuary and Refuge. Here the bears gather in large numbers to feast on concentrated food uh, food sources, including sedges in the salt marshes, clams, and salmon. And berries on the hillsides. Uh, Katmai is one of the best spots to view brown bears. The population, bear population there is 2,100. It's located on the Alaskan Peninsula, 480 kilometers, 300 miles southwest of Anchorage. So that's a little bit about uh, grizzly bears, you know. Not our friends, not our enemies. How about that? But they're an important part of the thing. You shouldn't be fighting humans. Beautiful, beautiful to be holding like that. Magnificent, I'd say. And um, cute, too. I want to pet. I mean, I like the way their hair looks. It makes me want to pet them. Hello, hello. This is Lord Tommen. Welcome. Oh, I, wo- welcome. I'm Lord Tommen welcoming you to a little uh, chat with me and my best friend. You might say, well, who's Tommen? And then if I said, well... Best friend of Sir Pounce, that's who Lord Tommen is. You'd say, whoa, whoa, did you just say Sir Pounce? Is he, that's the cat with the greatest best friend. I remember the book of Targaryen friendships. That was written in the past, and they were talking about Tommen and Pounce from the future. And adventures, and, but, but the main thing written through the history of time is the glory to just behold, behold a friendship of a man and a cat, a boy and a cat, a man transitioning or boy. It's confusing stuff. Um, but the cat is Sir Pounce, and the best friend is Tommen. And they are two best friends. The friends, are, as I've said, the history will always know as best friends. Myself, Tommen, and Sir Pounce, who's in my lap. Say hi, Sir did you just say wash French? I'm learning things from the pod man. Now, some of you might need to be new. So the pod man said, set up your segment, Tom, and this is just like you have a pod mod, pod mod. And he said, uh, set it up. So you might not, you might have heard of a Tom and, and a pounce from a world that rhymes with besteros. Now we are incredibly similar to them. Uh, let's see, he said, what does that say? Morally, emotionally wounded? Uh, emotionally wounded, but best friends. A boy so confused that he is confused about yeah, these things. We were, we were once affiliated with another land, but the Podman says no to fed fiction. Uh, but he says yes to Tommen and Pounce somehow. Hypocrisy. Uh, don't they call that hypocrisy? Hypocrisy. That's what the mother said when uh, when she caught the maester. Uh, what was he doing? He was with a uh, 
And she said, well, she was so angry. Mother's anger. Anyway, I'm back with another tale. Now, a lot of people say, well, we love to hear when you go on adventures, Tommen, but we also love to hear about you, Sir Tommen, and your your new life of becoming a man. What did, what did the podman saying? No one wants to know about that? Well, I've got to talk. That's what I'm going to talk. Okay. He said, and don't talk about that. And so tonight is the tale of Tom and, and the first dates. <laughs> yes. Uh, the pod, so some of you might remember last week I got a swimsuit and a swim shirt, and I was planning on. Uh, Going to see uh, Kelpalina one day, going under the sea, and saying, Kelpalina, Kelpalina. And, and then, uh, we, so then the podman said, Okay, let's go find Kelpalina, Tom. And what do you say? And I said, Well, uh, uh, peace coming out. And he said, Oh, dear, Tom, let me help you. And then he said, Good thing we bought more than one swimsuit. And then he said, "Well, let's go down." And and he said, "Cause I don't remember the beach. We didn't. We didn't." Uh, he was. That was in your imagination, right? When you met Kelpalina, I said, "Oh no, no, no! It was on a beach with a giant clam that talked." And he said, "Right, right." So, uh, so we drove to a beach in a, a bay, Moon Bay. He called it the Moon Bay, and it was lo- lower tide. And he said, "Let's go in the tide pools. They're full of." Uh, Creatures that may know Kelpalina, and then there's kelp beyond the kelp forests. He, he said, I think it might be seaweed. I don't know anything about water, he said. And he said, I'm afraid if we go to the aquarium, they'll arrest us. So let's fi- try to find out. So we went to the, to the shore of the beach. Yeah, it was not warm. I In Westeros, we have warm. I I like my water and my sand warm, warm on my feet, uh, you know, free of commoners. So so they do not watch me. You know, now that I have a swim shirt, I feel slightly more comfortable. But I would say, Mother, I don't like them looking at me. And she'd say, Tommy, no one's looking at you. Leave me be with your uncle. We're going into this. What do they call that thing? A beach house? Uh, what do I know? I don't know, a tent house. And she'd say, you know, take him to the water and keep him down there. And so, but so this beach, it, it was uh, it was colder. But uh, he said, that, and it was not water, it was a beach. And then rocks with puddles. So he said, tide pools, Simon. And we see, he said we could go to the edge of the tide pool. We could ask these sun sawfish. And they, I did not like them, okay? I, so I said, no. And then, so that ended because, and then there was other things he called them urchins. Urchins, I said, ah, oh, that's the thing in the flea, flea bottom. They come to take, uh, they want to take my wealth. And he said, no, Tom, and no, 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 you can trust me. I said, I don't, I trust no one. Others said, trust no one. And he said, Tom, and the, let's go, why don't you call for Kelpalina's help and be brave. Show her how brave you are. We will just show these creatures respect. Maybe ask them, have you seen Kelpalina? And then we will, uh... so he asked a couple of starfish. He said, look, Tom, and I'm talking to them. It looked quite strange. He was talking to the water because they were under the water. First he tried to lift one up and a woman said, no, no, no. 
This is a sanctuary. Leave them be. You know, and he said, I'm just sorry. So he said, hey, have you guys seen Galbalina? And, and then I ran. And he said, oh, jeez. And he ran. He said, Tom, you can't run. How would I ever find you? I cannot lose you. You are so precious to me. And you might say to yourself, where's Sir Pounce this whole time? And I think he was collecting feathers. I didn't know he was a feather collector. But when we see Sir Pounce, he always has feathers near, you know, in his uh, hair, or, you know, near his face, you know, stuck there with red paint on his face. They say, Sir Pounce, what do you got a feather face, my little feather face? And then he'd just take a bath and fall asleep. So then, so the podman said, okay, that did not work. He said, Tom, and tell me about you and girls. How, how much exposure to girls do you have? Non-servant girls. And I said, well, my sister's very nice. And he said, anyone else? And I said, well, uh, you know. Uh, and he said, okay, well, he goes, you, do you know what a date is? Do they have dates where you're from? I said, oh, yes. They uh, keep you. They keep your digestive in order. They're from. Are they from the reach? I can't remember where they're from. But oh yes, dates are what. Uh, they are so delicious. Mother says eat two, Tom, and and maybe that thing. Because one time I ate a. Uh, there was a man carving soapstone, which I said, "Oh, is this a soap?" And I tried to bite it. It hurt my teeth, and then I swallowed. It was a horse, and Mother said, "It will come out if you eat enough dates." Uh, but yes, uh, and he said, that's not the date. He goes, have you ever been alone with a girl other than your sister? And I said, mm, the scepters were, you know, watching me at a distance and saying, and, and he said, okay, well, I said, okay, let's, he said, how would you feel if you go on a date? And I said, what is a date? And he said, well, we'll do a double date. Uh, the two of us will maybe meet some young women or you know, women between our ages and, uh, you know, have dinner or see. And he said, oh, no, I can't take the movies. I said, what's well, a movie? And he said, someday. But he said, okay, uh, I got an idea. And then he's trying to think. He said, Tinder, no, that's all, you know. He said, no, I don't know. And then he said, oh, it's a bounce. And he said he went on meet meeting up meet him. Uh, so he said we'll go to a, a cat cat fan meetup. And he said, I said, what is that? It sounds wonderful. And he said, well, it's where f friends of cats get together and talk about how much they love cats. And I see he says I think you'll fit in just fine. And I said, is it a date? And he, he said, well, maybe we'll get some dates out of it. And I said, can I bring Sir Pounce? He said, no, probably not, because cats hate each other, as far as he said, as far as I know. And Sir Pounce loves, you know, he goes, who can I? He goes, Sir Pounce lo loves lady cats. And he already got every cat in my neighborhood pregnant, he said. So no, no. And I said, oh, well, what's Sir Pounce doing? He said, he, he likes to watch the... Uh, uh, he said, he said, uh, Sir Pounce likes novellas. And I said, what is that? I see, he said, don't worry, Tom, and I'll put it on for Sir Pounce. And Sir Pounce did. He followed the podman right into the podman's room with the magic mirror. And he sat down. He casted some spell with his wand. And then a, 
some beautiful, beautiful. I said, can we go on dates with them? And he said, oh, boy, I've been on a few. Uh, but, 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 uh, but, you know, and I said, is that when you kick the bathroom door? And he said, he said, we could, let's go, Tom. And so we went to this place. It was called the uh, Kibble, Kibble and Bits uh, Inn, I think. He said it was a bar. And I said, I'm not allowed. And I, he said, Tom, and, and I, I, I insisted on wearing my swimsuit. And he said, that's, he said, well, maybe you should be loved for who you are, Tom, and that's fine. And I said, oh, there you go again, not shaming me. We could be second best friends when you don't shame me so. And he said, hey, take it easy, Tom. And, uh, you know, it's okay. You don't have to be ashamed of everything. You know, you could, we'll find one day, he said to me, Tom, and you'll be able to determine the difference between shame and embarrassment and humiliation. But now you know no shades of those things. For you've never lived life as a human, more of a boy slug, you know, under your mother's iron rule. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't. And he said, wham, wham, And I said, you, you sound just like Sir Pounce. And he said, yeah, yeah, I do. And then I said, okay. So we went into the kibble and bits. And there was a, so we went into the kibble and bits. And it was full of people, most having shirts with pictures of uh, the cats on there, which made it very... And I said, oh, and look at me. I wore my swim shirt. And already someone laughed. I said, hello. Hello, what is your cat's name? And the pod man, he was speechless. He said... And and she said, well, my cat's name is Tinkles. And I said, oh, that's a great name. Why is it Tinkles? And she said, well, at first, when when I, you know, when it was just a baby, it would tinkle a lot. And I said, what does tinkle mean? And she said, pee-pee. And I said, oh, oh, uh, and then she said, what's your name? I said, Tom, and uh, nice to meet you. Sorry, my cat shirt. Sorry, I left my cat shirt in the ocean as a tribute to my one true love, Kelpalina. And she said, oh, is Kelpalina your cat? And I said, no, my cat is Sir Pounce. And she giggled. She said, that is so nice. And I said, well, it was very nice to meet you, uh, Keeper of Tinkles. And then the pod man laughed. He said, Tom, oh. And she laughed. And he said, no shame, Tom. And this is not a shame laugh. And so I laughed. And then people started to gather around us, other cat shirt wearers and cat sweater wearers. And there was people who did out. And they said, oh, what are you, what are you wearing? And I said, I said, a swim shirt and a swim trunk. And they said, well, why? And I said, well, I'm planning adventures. Uh, I, I did uh, try to conquer my fear of uh, starfish today, but I did not succeed. And they were laughing. And then I got to spend so much time hearing about so many different cats. And I, say, I said, oh, my gosh, gosh, goodness, what in the seven heavens is this? I am so lucky, this part, man. I said, oh, and what's your cat's name, Fuzzy Face? No, no, Puffy, Puff, Puffy Cat. And I said, oh, well, that's a, a second most perfect name after Fuzzy Face. So what is your name? And oh, it's... 
And I, oh, to hear the, and I said, is that, what is that on your cat's head? It is a, a, is that a ribbon? Who would have thought to put a ribbon in a cat's hair? That is, oh my goodness. And I said, oh, and, oh, and then what are those bells? Are those bells on your cat's, uh, what is that thing around? It's like, a, you know, and then they would say, oh, well, tell us about it. And I said, well, my cat is my best friend. I miss him so easy. And they said, oh, is he? And I said, no, he's back. He's watching novellas. He loves novellas, the beautiful women on the novellas. But no women on a, with a face of paint could be as beautiful as a woman with a cat on, on her chest or in her heart, to me at least. And they said, the Podman, he, he was, he, he bet, you know, he's a talker, that Podman. Normally, he says, I mean, let me tell you, you know, when we're not, he said, let me tell you about the cats I had. There was sneakers and socks when I was just a boy in Marcellus, New York. And I said, oh boy, Podman, you do not, you, you do, you know, you couldn't even be a jester. You could be the jester's assistant or something. He said, never mind, Tom. And, but I said, and I said, tell us more about Sir Pounce. And I said, have you ever heard the word bravery? And they said, I said, Sir Pounce is the bravest cat. I like to say he's the cat to put braveness in bravery. And then one, she said she was a teacher. She said, actually, that's impossible to put braveness in bravery. And I said, that's exactly why Sir Pounce did it. If you tell Sir Pounce that it was impossible to have the greatest friendship in the history of friendship, he would show you me, I would show you him, and the debate would be done. So then uh, pretty soon uh, I started to feel hungry. I said, as tight as this swim shirt is on me, I'm feeling quite hungry. Is there any kibbles or bits here in this? And they, so, and they said, well, Tom, would you want to go? So then the pod man and I... And who was it? Snuffy's mother, you know, Snuffy's owner. And who was that? Uh, Patergin. 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 It's a complicated one. That was her. And then um, who was the other one? Oh, Fletch. I, I said, Fletch, is that a, what does that mean? And then who's a tiger tail? And many others. They said, so we all went and ate. At a place where you uh, you uh, you uh, share food with these sticks, and it was very interesting. You eat with sticks, and I said, I do not know how to do this. And I said, Oh, let me show you. And and I, I suddenly, when my hand would be touched by another hand, and they said, Who was that? And I said, Oh boy, wow, I'm feeling hot in here. And I need to take my swimsuit shirt off. And they said, oh, Tom, you're so silly. And I said, no, really. And the pod man said, you can't do that, Tom. And I said, okay, I'll keep it on. But oh, boy. And then uh, we ate those noodles. And it was spicy. And it was good. And they said, I, I said, I've never talked about cats like this. And I always wondered... Uh, as a boy, I, I, you know, you, you, you think, oh, I would have a dream, and I would hope that dream came true, and it did. For I prayed to the old gods and the new for a best friend, for friendship, and Sir Pounce came my way. And then I dreamed 
of sharing a laugh with my mother or having her say nice things to me. And I had a dream about that. And then someone was crying. I said, uh, I said it's okay. Uh, oh, Frenchie. Oh, for Frenchie. I'm not sure if that was her name or the cat's name. Uh, that was the cat had a ribbon and a bell. And his hair was like it had a little thing. And I said, oh, that Frenchie. But I still didn't know. I was like, oh, boy, Tom, don't get caught mixing up the names. But anyway, it was so easy. But I said, this is a dream I have never had, but it has already come true, talking with all of you about cats, hearing about your cats, seeing you smile as you talk about your cats. And one day, the bad man said, I need to go on some dates to date someone to prepare me for the woman I truly love who lives in the kelp forest, Kelpalina. And they said, well, and then I said, so uh, would, who, one day would anyone date me? A double date, though, you'd have to go, one, someone has to come for the pot man. He said, there's a one for, you know. And then that, that was it. The rest of the night I was swooning, I'll tell you. Yeah, I said, I can't wait to tell Sir Pounce about this. And then I got home, I said, Sir Pounce. I was like, he, he, Sir Pounce, he listened. And he said, Romeo Wren, Romeo Wren. I said, this one, Frenchie, a bow and a bell. And Sir Pounce said, wow, wow. And then he said, uh, you know, when can we meet him, you know? And I said, and I told him about Fletch. He said, Romeo Wren. And I, I said, well, and he, then he, I said, I think uh, Fletch is a boy. And so, and Sir Pounce said, well, and I said, Sir Pounce, you are one crazy cat. Yeah, I can't wait for you. And I said, you can play nicely with these cats and not, uh, like the podman said, some cats don't. And Sir Pounce said, wow, 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 And I said, what did you say about that bell? And, I, and then the pod man said, he came and he said, Tom and I cannot believe you. And I said, oh, no, I I, I used the bathroom as you showed me. And he, I, he said, no, 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 Tom and good job. Tom and you've been on your first dates. I've never seen, you've done more dating in one meetup than I've done. Uh, he said, oh, oh, never mind. And then he held his head. And he said, oh, the things he tried. He never tried talking. Now, he said, if only if Kelpalina had a cat. And I said, Kelpalina has a cat? He said, no, no, no. If she had a cat and loved a cat, you'd be all set. And she exists in reality, he said. And I said, do not worry about that, bud man. And he said, well, Tom, and you have been on, and I, he says, he goes, my phone's blowing up with you, Tom, and, and it sounds like Sir Pounce is ready to pounce on some of these cats. So you'll be going on so many dates, you'll be ready for Capolina when you meet a good, great job, Tom, and you are always surprising me. And I said, no shame, and he said, no, 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 in a good way. I know, he's like, he said, you you may be in the right place, Tom, and for the world you lived in, a man, boy like you, did not fit. But here, is, is, they make movies about man boys, 
and they run companies, and they date women that go to cat meetups. Obviously, Tom, whoa, Tom, and look at that. And he said, never mind, you can't see that one. That's a ribbon. And he said, I got, he said, I got to go, Tom. And, and I said, kick the bathroom door. He said, probably twice. And I said, okay, but man, I'll be here talking to Sapounce about the bows and the kitties. So I am proud to say that I am a da- dating man now. And, you know, soon to date Capilano. Of course, that is my end goal. But it is just so pleasurable for me to share my love of cats with people who love cats and say, tell me more. How, how, why is your cat's toenails pink? What is that? That is so wonderful. Oh, why is your cat's tail but you got a little bend in it. What happened? Oh, that's so terrible. So that is it. So Pounce, he is happy. He just keeps saying, Rummy roar, Rummy roar, ring row. So I'm going to tell Sir Pounce more while you go to sleep. Good night. It's time for my prayers. So crone, sweet, sweet crone, Miller, grinding away, Smith pounding away. Barky, growing, stretching, ringing, ringing around your cambium and your bar within your bark, stretching, sunning, uh, you know, chlor. What do you call that when you chlorof the, the stuff the chlorophyll does? Dropping nuts, you know, flowering, budding, uh, other barky. Yeah, face smiling sometimes when people draw face smiles on you. Oh, Jester, joking around. It's me praying in. You know, you guys probably know since you're gods. I was like, oh boy, this was this was not a not an easy prayer to come. I mean, you know, guys, we got a lot going on right now. Between, I got some, you know, we're in a transitional phases and everywhere for me, it seems like. Good things with these listeners listening to the podcast and the support, spreading the word. And we got stuff, you know, work stuff that's like, oh boy, what's going to happen there? Then we got family stuff, the same thing, like, oh man, this is, uh, so we got all that transition, guys, but you know, those are. The transitions I'd rather avoid dealing. You know, I put those in your. If I put those in your purview, will you do anything? I don't know, but I have to trust my lack of ability to. But anyway, you guys know that I've been. I didn't really want. Let's be honest, guys. I didn't want to do this prayer and end because of the other transition that happened when I lost my temper one too many times this week with a cable company that provides my internet, my cable. And I said, that's it. Customer lost, and the cable was cut. I couldn't really afford it anyway. It was too expensive unless I kept, you know, trying to get them to lower the price. But then you guys know this. So that was one transition. I said, well, okay, well, what am I going to miss? I got to figure out, you know, they got other options, guys. We we can't have a cord-cutting podcast. If you want to know more about cord-cutting, go to Cord Killers by uh, Tom Merritt and Brian... uh, Oh boy, Brian! I forgot you. He he has a show called Hacking the System too. Great. He Tom Harris is a straight guy. Brian's the the lovable wacky guy. 
So hey guys, if you you know if you've got the iPads, I sent you know I sent to you with gift receipts. Uh, in my mind, I figure if just by you know imagining them, you should be able to foster it out of spiritual energy. A- anyway, guys, you know that I was putting off this prayer because I was. Uh, I said, I don't, and maybe you guys don't understand all this stuff because this is complicated. I said, well, this uh, that thing I was working on, that's called an antenna god. And just like, you know, I, I send my prayers into the ether, the air, this antenna pulls uh, programming out of the air. And then that cord, one cord was a power cord because it's a powered antenna. And, I, you know, one I had a lot from the last two times I cut the cord. Then learn my lesson, but then that so one goes into electricity. I don't have time for that, um, and the other one goes it went into the TV tuner. So I, I don't know. I don't want to get caught up on the cutting the cable thing because you know what I was watching. But so that that was pulling it out of there. I said, well, let's see how this goes. And you know, at first I was watching that basketball game, and I said, well, it's the first half. I got a prayer prayers to the gods are due. Sunday, it's Sunday. You know, gods, I got to get this knocked out. At Eleven, whatever time I said. Well, I'm gonna start at eleven thirty. But you know, then I started. I said, let me see. I got a lot of channels. I didn't even get through them because I got to that one channel right at whatever the time was turning. I think it became eleven o'clock. And that movie started, which I wrote down the name of it, but I don't have it. Uh, oh, boy, guys, how, how you expect me to stop what I'm doing and say my prayers? And I was on a channel up there. I don't even know what channel it was. Digital channel. I wish I would have known. I would have cut the cord months ago, guys. So that was a movie, an older movie. So it wasn't, hmm, fictional. So last week was nonfiction. This goes back to the fiction of... Actually, and it was in the vein of Snowpiercer, but it was an old movie, guys. I don't know how old because I'm terrible at, uh, I'm guessing, 60s, uh, maybe. It was in color. I believe it it took place in Korea. I believe it was probably a Korean movie, but it was a a base on, or it it had vein very similar to Japanese movies about Godzilla. You think it was called the? I, I gotta watch the rest of it. I was like, man, I gotta see these prayers. I really want to just sit around and watch this movie, but I don't have two hours to sit around, which is the downside of court cutting. It's like, well, it's on. You gotta watch it, and uh, you might as well get by some other stuff. Well, what do I look like, guys? If you leave a freaking, you know, TiVo or some, you know, other deep PVR with no monthly bill, I'll use it, but. uh it's not important. So that movie was awesome. Now, oh, before that, for like five minutes, we watched a show. I was like, what the hell is this? There was a puppet. That was when I had the TV, only the TV and not the volume, because I was working and editing the podcast. And I said, well, let's just get, I just searched for the channels to see what we could pull out of the ether. That's what I was doing first. And then I said basketball, and I said, well, let's see what else is break. And then I saw that freaking puppet talking to that man. They look like they're in some sort of woodworking situation. I said, holy shit, gods, look at this. And then I got done editing the podcast. I said, holy crap, this is cool. I love old. It, that was old. It was in color, though, too. It had to be 50s, maybe, gods. Maybe. I don't know when they had color TV. But that was, I was like, they could be, t- and it was on mute, so I was like, I don't even know what the hell these two are talking about. They look like they're arguing. Uh, 
And it could have been anything. And then I said, well, you know, I'm done editing. Let me turn the volume on this thing. Next, it segues into some, that was a children's program. I think it was called Howdy Doody. The guy in the uh, cowboy outfit, I think his name's Howdy Doody. There's a clown named Claire Bell. And the segment we watched with the volume man gods, that was like a comedy segment. There was puppets talking. They were kind of narrating or commenting on what was happening. Howdy Doody. Clarabelle, the very attractive young woman in the hot pants. I don't know why the hell she was in short shorts on a children's program, but I liked it. You know, whoa, boy. So there was that. And then there was uh, two older people, both comedy foil types. One, some rich guy looking guy, and the other kind of an eccentric woman. And they were having a seance. Clarabelle was scared. Seance means they're, you know, praying into the uh, world of the undead, basically, or the dead, you know. And I thought it was, wow, this is from the 50s. They're talking about this lady. They're trying to get hold of, like, her fourth husband who's not alive. Powerful stuff that you'd say today. If someone saw that, they'd say, I'm going to call my lawyer and, you know, shut this down, talking about divorce and dead husbands. And they were joking about it. And maybe, you know, depending on what your faith, you know, uh, whatever word I use for that, belief system, you know, your faith, you might be offended. You might say, well, I don't believe in talking to dead people. But I ended up it was a scam anyway. Payoff, it was the dude that was arguing with the puppet from the earlier sequence. So I know, guys, I, sneak, I know I'm not supposed to pray for myself, but let me sneak one in here, guys. You know, if I, I wouldn't mind doing a show like that. I could dress like Howdy Doody, I think. I love puppets. I don't know. I think maybe there's a market for it. that. Was very high brow, much higher brow. I don't think that I've ever seen the Howdy Doody show before. I didn't see Howdy Doody. I think Howdy Doody is that guy's sidekick. Maybe his name's not Howdy Doody. Maybe Howdy Doody's like his best friend of puppet. But anyway, so then we watched that guys, and then I said, let's change channels again. A lot of infomercials, but even on the cable, there's freaking half that crap's infomercials. But then we get to this channel, and I say, what the hell? Remember, there was, it was space, and I said, oh, this could be anything. Long, long pan. About the longest pan I've ever seen across space. It was about two minutes till they got to Earth. Then it started to close in on Earth. Then I said, you know, whatever, the monster from beyond or the monster, for the creature from the deep or something. What a masterpiece. And people say, oh, was this a bad movie or a good movie? I was watching it. like, And, I, and there was stuff that you could make fun of it, but it was still gripping. I love monster movies. Like I said, there's a whole genre called Godzilla uh, that this is based on. They're trying to reboot it in different ways now. I would have preferred it, to be honest, guys, if John August had made his movie. Because uh, I trust things in his hands a little bit more than the, the products that have been put out um, by other people. No offense to anybody, but not, my, monster, my monster movie has not been made yet. Or maybe it has. It's called Jurassic Park. Um, but so but there was no monster when we were watching it. The best, my favorite part was so the people got married. You remember that? Then they're driving to their honeymoon, and then they get hit with a blue ray, and they start itching. They almost crash their car. And I very well, great story time. I said, what is happening? Now, oh, one more thing, guys. They actually speak Korean. They were Korean. But then they put American voices on top of it. So maybe that's why it looked a little weird if you were watching them talk. So that way, you know, you can watch it in America. In Korea, they would have probably spoken their own voices in Korean. But anyway, so um, 
I said, what the hell is this blue ray? And then they got out of the car, and then their buddy was driving along. He said, why are you guys acting so weird? You're supposed to be on your honeymoon. And then the end of that kid was hiding. Very well-dressed kid. It even added to my intrigue because he was so well-dressed, shooting a ray at them, an itch ray. And the guy, they said, we don't know. We just started itching like crazy here, and we're trying to go to our honeymoon. He said, oh, I think I know what's going on. I want you guys go. And then he caught the kid. Or no, they were there. And he said, what are you doing? He said, well, I was shooting with this ray gun I found in your lab. I think that was his dad or his uncle or the guy sleeping with his mom, something. And he said, oh, boy, uh, you're not supposed to have that ray gun. I'm sorry I left that itch ray around. One, I don't even, I mean, that's awesome. There was so much technology. There was a cell, cell phones in this movie. Had to be from the '60s. Uh, I mean, they were walkie-talkies uh, uh, in the movie, but uh, then they go on their honeymoon. Whole another layer because she wants to have sex and he's not interested. Which she was, he he was like, "Oh, I just took a nap. Now I'm gonna go to bed." Wasn't that? And uh, he said, "She said, well, you know, it's it's uh, time for us to consummate the marriage. Uh, you know, sexy time." And he, then he was playing, but it was also like a, a little bit, there's some patriarchy there, but it was also like, come on, man, uh, your beautiful wife wants to sleep with you. You know, what's your problem? And then finally, I think he was trying to play coy, like he was the one in control. And then he's like, I'm just kidding, Shorty. And then he started kissing her. And Shorty does not refer to her height. She wasn't short, guys. I think that's like a term that was used like in the 90s. And um, um I think they call it Bay. That was maybe the last two years ago. I don't know the latest one, but um, anyway, honey, honey bun. And so then, but then as soon as he's about to, uh, you know, his her dad calls on the secret cell phone that's in his briefcase, and he says, uh, "Rocket was about to launch. What's going on?" And they say, "Well, we got a rocket. That actual rocket. You got to get back here." And he says, well, I was about to, you know, I, you know, I, I know it was awkward that I've, you know, been hooking up with your daughter and you're my boss. But, you know, and then he says, get back to base. And then they go back to base. A lot of tea drinking and cigarette smoking, guys. You probably notice. You say, oh, that's different. Cigarettes we'll talk about another time. Tea's good still. Now, now probably the best idea to be drinking tea out of teacups around all that electrical because then they launch, I was like, they launch a, a rocket. I think it was to spy, it was a spy ship because they say you got to go observe what's happening. I think it was for nuclear testing or something. And then he gives over, finds an earthquake. They lose uh, one thing was that they did some, uh, what do you call that, uh, where he explains stuff. I can't remember, but through the newsreels while it was happening, which didn't make a lot of sense because it was print media. But, but, but this just in, we've lost contact with the rocket. That was happening live. But, you know, then they come back. He lands. Then he's got his wife and another beautiful woman on his arm. Very, uh, and he says, I don't know, it's an earthquake and it's out of control. And they say, oh, it's headed right for uh, right for Korea, it turned out. Again, I don't know what year this was made, so I don't want to get into the politics or the history of Korea, North Korea, South Korea. But I definitely want to watch this movie again. Because then I said, well, I can't, you know, I got to get this done. I got to get these prayers done. I got a full plate. So I don't know what's going to happen, guys. I hope there's a monster. There was not one yet. Uh, cool. Ideally, it'd be cool. We'll fight another monster.
What I mean, the itch ray, there's about a 99.9999% chance that's what's going to be what stops it. But that's okay. You know, will the little kid wield the uh, itch ray? Will he make someone itch in an uncomfortable moment when they're like, all is lost? And then his dad says, oh, wait a second, we could magnify that because the monster has giant. This is what, uh, now my story, you know, he's got those claws, so then he'll itch it. Because he said, yeah, that's probably what will happen. But still, I want to see what the monster looks like. I like to see a destruction, especially when they have all the military attacking it. It's always cool and electrical. They do a great job. There's good effects in this movie for whenever it was made, I thought. Um, so I'd say, guys, it looks like I prayed up. I um, dominated the prayer time with wondering about that movie. But, I mean, that's what, you know, that's what we live in the moment, present. Well, that was a past moment, but... And then the future, because I want to watch it. Uh, and now I'm like, what else is going to be on this channel here? I think it was called like the, uh, it was a strange name for a channel. Um, I did take a picture of it. It was because the name of the movie, Yang, Yang Gary was the name of the monster. Yang Gary, Creature from the Deep, I think that was the name of it. Yang Gary, Young Gary, Yang Gary, something like that. I don't know. So that's it, guys. Uh, monster movies. Check it. I mean, you guys must have like a D. You must have like some. I mean, you don't have to worry about cord cut. I mean, you're cordless, right? Right? I don't know. I don't know. Do you? Maybe you don't need to be entertained and distracted because you're gods. I don't know. I guess if I was a god, I'd definitely, you know, I'd be like, wow, could I be the back nailing god? Would that mean I could go to that lifestyle without any consequences or awkwardness? Or, you know, um, you know, uh, what do you call it? infant infantile, infantilizing my life or being stuck, you know, whatever, you know, that would be ideal if I, but maybe if you're a God, you're like, well, it didn't seem like it ever wears thin for the Bacchanalian God, but that's you, Jester. So I guess I can't take that over, but you could take over. You could be like the Clarabelle. Uh, to my, well, howdy doody, or the guy, Bob, I think might have been his name. He was not very, uh, there was some sexuality on that show. I mean, there's very, a lot of legs. Uh, and then the woman talking about her ex-husbands, I mean, you have sex with your husbands. So she, she was, uh, you know, but so maybe I could be, well, then it's a kid's show, but I mean, I'm not the one that did it. Uh, there was no denying the sexuality. And probably there's, like, a tongue-in-cheek stuff. I know puppets like to talk dirty, even if it's, like, uh, you know, you know, is that a cigar or a cig- you know, like a Freudian-type stuff. All right, gods, that's it. Um, sorry to confuse you, but I had to be honest about, you know, I didn't want to pray. I am, you know, I did not want to pray in. And reconnect with you. I wanted to watch a Korean monster movie. And speaking of which, oh, I didn't even think about Korean. um, Snowpiercer's Korean. That's what I was going to say. But it's also in the vein of Snowpiercer. Hey, this movie, suspend your disbelief and relax. And let's have a little fun. Okay? Maybe you'll learn something. The Snowpiercer said, well, maybe you'll learn something. Maybe you'll see something that strikes something. But, But this movie is more like, hey... You know, you could make fun of it, which I love making fun of movies and people that do that. But also, if it, when it's a monster movie, maybe that uh, my, I say, well, 
Hey, jokey critic, let's show, uh, it could be a monster, it could be cool stuff, so let's not ruin it with saying, why is there an itch ray? And why the hell isn't it locked up, you idiot? Where's the uh, CPS child, you know, this guy shouldn't have a kid. And, you know, why not have some sex right on screen there, huh? Never mind, guys, forget I said that part. All right, I got to go. Uh, thank you for your time and, you know, your elusive support is always appreciated. I think I asked you guys for something. Now I can't remember. Oh, yeah, maybe Buffalo Bill, was that his name? No, that was a bad, that's a bad guy. Uh, Buffalo Bob, maybe? I don't like clowns, though, but Clarabelle didn't look too bad. Like, so it didn't scare me like some other clowns have. All right, guys, talk to you soon. Bye.